This podcast from Teacher Magazine is supported by Enhance TV. Enhance TV is used in thousands of Australian classrooms to stream educational videos that engage students. Enhance TV is a not-for-profit, which means more value to educators. Enhance TV is completely free to K-12 teachers. For more information, visit enhancetv.com.au forward slash free. Hello, thank you for downloading this podcast from Teacher Magazine. I'm Rebecca Vukovic. My guest today is Associate Professor Lynn Barnett-Morris from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For the last three years, she's been researching kindergarten-aged children to determine how playfulness in the classroom is viewed by the children themselves, their classmates and their teachers. The result? A longitudinal study titled The Education of Playful Boys, Class Clowns in the Classroom. She joins the research files today on a bit of a scratchy line from the US to discuss the key findings. But to kick things off, I asked Lynn to tell listeners why she decided to conduct this research in the first place. Um, I've been researching young children, uh, preschool children up to kindergarten children, uh, as have many others, for quite a while in terms of how their playful expression, individuality uh, shows itself. And one of the interesting questions that I've had for quite a while is what happens when the environment changes? So when the kids are um, two, three, four, even up to five years of age, they're very playful and they're, they're in fairly loose settings and very flexible uh, expectations, if any, and they're kind of expected to kind of do their own thing and nobody worries too much about it as long as they're relatively safe. And the question I thought that was of interest was to look at the increasing degrees of structure. And so as the environment sort of gets more restrictive, what happens to playfulness with children? And the formal school setting was a perfect place to look at that. So as children start out in kindergarten and everything, at least in the States it is, is pretty open and fluid, when they start first grade, things change fairly dramatically. They're sitting in individual desks, and there's teachers and curricula, and more interestingly for us, very strict behavior expectations and expectancies for the kids, um, not just in academics, but more in terms of how to behave in the classrooms. Yeah. So that was a perfect way to look at our questions about playfulness. Nobody had done any research on children older than kindergarten. So that was another um, interest, big interest, was to extend those findings and see how they might change as children got older and more, a little more developmentally mature. And those were the two big issues that we were trying to explore with this study. And how did you go about conducting this research? Well, we um, had a wonderful opportunity to uh, do more longitudinal research where we started out with the children in kindergarten and we assessed their playfulness. Um, there's a variety of ways of doing that and it's, we have some valid ways of doing it. And then to follow those same children through first and second and third grade. 
and we had the opportunity to be able to talk to their teachers to get individual assessments of the children. Um, we also had the wonderful opportunity of being able to talk to classmates about other children, given all of the very strict requirements that we followed to the letter about uh, anonymity of the kids and confidentiality of the assessments. So we did all that, but it, it gave us some great insights uh, that we were looking for about children's behaviors in the classroom. So we wanted to see if playfulness in kindergarten uh, had any predictive ability to talk about how the children would be in first, second, and third grades, both in terms of teachers' perspectives and in terms of their classmates' perspectives. And so that's what we were able to do. We had assessments of um, their social behavior, how socially competent the teachers thought they were and how they viewed themselves and how their peers viewed them in terms of their social status, where they desired playmates, where they, um, children that um, their peers wanted to interact with on a regular basis and to befriend. We also had measures of the extent to which their behaviors could be viewed as disruptive to the classroom from teachers' perspectives, from their classmates' perspectives, and also from their own perspectives. And then we had an assessment, again, from those three differing perspectives of the extent to which a child could be considered to be the class clown. And uh, it was those different types of measures that we were hoping would converge and kind of tell us a story about playful children and how they would be perceived and whether those perceptions might be different depending on whether we, we were talking to teachers or other children their age or um, from their own point of view. Yeah. And Lynn, can you share with listeners um, some of the findings, some of the key things you found through this research? So first of all, playfulness um, was viewed very differently for boys and girls by teachers but not by any of the children um, in self-perceptions or peers um, regarding them. They regarded boys and girls um, in the same way if they were playful and also if they were not playful. And it was the teachers that, that showed, even in first grade, that they um, saw playful boys very different than playful girls and non-playful boys different than non-playful girls. So big gender effects, which is fairly consistent with some of the literature on gender differences. Almost all, I should say at this point, almost all the teachers were female. So it does make a difference in terms of the literature, whether you're talking about male teachers interacting with same or different sex kids um, or female teachers. So these were all female teachers. And then we found that things change across the years. So right from the get-go, teachers perceived playful boys very, very negatively. They saw them as having very low social skills, lower than anybody else. They saw them as the most disruptive to the classroom, in need of attention uh, from the teacher almost constantly, which then interrupted her ability to teach and to work with other children. And they were, they were regarded as a huge problem that had to be managed in some way. Playful girls, teachers uh, thought they were no problem at all. They saw them as having high social skills, the same as non-playful girls. They saw them as not being disruptive to the classroom. 
they reported having wonderful relationships with them and enjoying having them in their, as part of their everyday classroom, um, and that they contributed to the classroom rather than detracted from it. So it was that one group of playful boys that were the subject of scorn uh, in terms of the teachers. Other kids um, saw the playful children as, um, again, they didn't see differences between boys and girls. And in first and second grades, they said, oh, they were desired playmates. We enjoyed their company. They were fun to have around. We would nominate them to be best friends. They enjoyed having them in the classroom um, as well as outside the classroom. They, liked, they wanted to get together with them. Um, they weren't necessarily labeled class clowns, and that, that there was no, it was so different from what the teachers had said. The kids themselves said, no, they had great social skills, and they weren't disruptive, and they saw themselves very positively, having lots of friends and enjoying going to school and being in the classroom. And um, they showed more of a reluctance than the other kids did in terms of labeling themselves as class clown, and it could be label in general. So we just looked at that one label, I'm not sure. By third grade, things changed very dramatically um, for the kids. And that was that the um, children, well, the, the peers, the classmates of the playful children started viewing themselves very negatively and viewing the, any kids that were high in playfulness were negative in terms of um, being disruptive, they were problems, they interfered with learning, the teachers, they could tell the teachers didn't like them, and um, they now were calling them class clowns and using it in a negative and more of a derogatory way. The kids themselves also picked up on that. They were seeing themselves as um, having poor social skills when they thought for the two years preceding that they were pretty high. They saw that they were losing their friends, that school wasn't a fun place to go anymore, and in fact, they couldn't wait till they got out. Um, their relationship with the teacher was pretty negative, and um, they were still reluctant to call themselves class clowns, but a little bit more readily to do so. So there was this jump from... Uh, with the children themselves, um, both in terms of rating themselves and rating uh, the other kids in their classroom, everything was going along fine in first and second grade, and then the jump from second to third grade produced some staggering uh, results that changed direction fairly precipitously. And I want to talk a little bit more about labels, because the report notes that labels can have a powerful effect on the behavior and socialization of children. So in what ways do labels impact on the behaviors of children? Well, there's this interesting phenomenon. As I, as I started to uh, try and do some research on the whole labeling issue and what is it about labels and what type of labels that occur, uh, particularly in interactions between teachers and children. And I found this phenomenon which I thought was really interesting and it seems to apply to this data as well. And it's called the Pygmalion effect, uh, which, um, you know, after the, the famous story, uh, that you can sculpt or create a child in the likeness that you desire. 
and it's used in the educational literature um, almost exclusively. I didn't find it anywhere else, and I, and I searched for it. And it says that uh, teachers have certain expectations of children, and a lot of it is based on children's behaviors, and both, both positive and negative. It's not just the positive ones uh, that are getting the attention, like in the wonderful movie and story, but it's the negative ones that are shown in the classrooms that are of concern. And what happens is they have these expectations, and they may be completely inaccurate. But their perceptions dictate the expectations that they're going to have. And then um, through their actions, they kind of shape the behavior of the children. And you reward the positives, of course, as we know, and you try to extinguish the negatives. And over time, they do that. And so the children learn very quickly uh, how to conform to those uh, expectations. And they then act so as to uh, fit the expectations. So, um, and in that way, they get very close to what those um, perceptions were that were held of them. Again, whether they were initially accurate or not, but they now become very accurate. Mm -hmm. And so teachers have a, a big socializing effect, particularly in the classroom, from that um, from that research that was done, and it's been shown that even if um, their views of children are um, not accurate at all, that in fact the children, depending on uh, what the behavior is, but it could be in a relatively short amount of time, actually come to fit when they didn't initially. And it, it's been observed in a number of situations, and it's... Um, for me, it was pretty staggering because I hadn't been aware that it was so strong, these effects, and consistent, and they are. And I think that we found evidence for them in our study looking at playfulness and, and um, class clown behavior and disruption. So it seemed to fit our data pretty well and that we have from this rather unique perspective of looking at class clowning and playfulness, which hadn't been done before, that we have yet um, further evidence to support the whole idea that there is this Pygmalion effect, this self-fulfilling prophecy that, that occurs in the classrooms with teachers and their students. Yeah. And Lynn, how are these findings enlightened our understanding of playfulness in children? Well, our, our, um, we think that we've taken some um, jumps uh, to contribute to the literature in a variety of ways. First, we've extended playfulness looking at older children and shown that it does exist with older children. And the biggest finding was that it does exist, but that it has negative consequences. And nobody really talked about the negatives of it before. It was just this wonderful, adorable little characteristic on, on um, cute little cherubic children. And when you look at it, though, in terms of a formal setting, a very highly structured rule-governed setting, playfulness is a very negative attribute because it incurs the... Um, uh, the, the, the negative um, behaviors and uh, verbalizations and general attitudes of, of, in our case, the teachers. Um, it's also been done with administrators. We found that the principals weren't very happy as well. 
that's not reported in here, but that's in a later study. And uh, we learned that playfulness, therefore, has this um, uh, has this negative valence for um, when you start the formal school grades. We also learned some things about how playfulness um, moves through how the trajectory that it has through three years, um, actually through four years, going from kindergarten to first, first to second, second to third, and we went through the end of third grade, so just before they had started fourth grade. And that there is a trajectory and things get incredibly negative as um, probably the, the uh, classroom itself gets more structured and more formal. And that it's, um, if you're a boy and you're playful, you are at a serious disadvantage of incurring labels and um, being almost isolated or uh, ignored maybe or ostracized by other kids because in third grade they didn't want you to be friends anymore, whereas they, the children were well-liked before that. And so the, there are big consequences to being playful. Um, it may take a couple of years for them to be realized, but, um, and we don't know what's going to continue, but I would venture to guess that it's going to get worse and worse as you get to fourth and fifth and sixth grades if those, that playfulness hasn't been extinguished by then. Yeah. And Lynn, just finally, what implications does this research have for teachers? I think the strongest one I would uh, like to offer is the um, powerful effect that teachers have through their words and their actions um, on children that may be the focal child they're trying to address. And also they're being watched by the other children. So um, they're, you know, children imitate what they see. We found that in first and second grade, they had their own opinions, but by third grade, their opinions closely matched those of their teachers. So they had been observing for quite a while how these playful boys were being treated by their teachers, and they were adjusting their perceptions of uh, their classmates, their playful male classmates, so that they matched their teachers. So it's the powerful socializing effect, the, the fact that, and there's some literature on this as well that I was able to find that teachers, um, that children take cues from their teachers about how to, to whether the extent to which uh, their classmates should be liked or disliked. And um, however, it may be a subtly communicated, the kids are picking up on them, and even that uh, young in age. And as kids, of course, get older and older, they're much better at picking up social cues and they can be much more subtle and the kids are able to, to pick them up because their social cognitive abilities are much more enhanced. And so they're going to they're gonna get it from their teachers uh, pretty directly and probably in short order. That's all for this episode. To keep listening or to download all of our podcasts for free, whether it's more from the research files or our series on behaviour management, school improvement, teaching methods, global education or action research, just visit acer.ac forward slash teacher iTunes or soundcloud.com forward slash teacher hyphen acer. The full transcript of this podcast is available at teachermagazine.com.au that's where you'll also find the latest articles, videos, and infographics for free. 
This podcast from Teacher Magazine is supported by Enhance TV. Enhance TV is used in thousands of Australian classrooms to stream educational videos that engage students. Enhance TV is a not-for-profit, which means more value to educators. Enhance TV is completely free to K-12 teachers. For more information, visit enhancetv.com.au forward slash free.